0: Psalm 2, my Bible, has the uh, title, Christ the Coming King. Um, And it has, as we'll go through, has multiple voices and whatnot. And before we read it, as our custom is, we will pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, may our eyes and ears be open. May our hearts be ready for the word as we read, as we learn, uh, as we uh, go through these things through an earthen vessel, Lord, you might hear your spirit that might be felt in our hearts. Lord, guide and direct us. Fill us with your spirit this day. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son, Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled, but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. So what that means is is a direct relation to Christ. And we look at that and quite obvious, we're seeing in Acts 2, Acts 13 that we read that it mentions Psalm 2, it mentions that it is related to Christ and there's about 16 psalms which we'd say that is a psalm of Christ. So another psalm we might think of is Psalm 22 when he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that's a messianic psalm. So when you hear that term, messianic psalm, it's pointing forward to Christ. Now, we've got another one. When we read Psalm 1, and Psalm 1, we see it's individual. So, Psalm 1, we see it starts with, Blessed is the man. Psalm 2, we saw in verse 12, Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So, it's like a, a bracket around those two. They're a couple, they go together. Um, they're like. If you've ever seen a cruise ship and they've got those massive staircases, Psalm 1 and 2 are like the pillars at the front, ready to go up to all the other psalms. So Psalm 1 and 2, think of it as a couple or as a bracket or a link of chain. Um, Psalm 1 starts with the individual. Psalm 2 starts with nations. So it goes from the individual, what you should do, the blessings in Christ. If you don't do them, you'll be punished. Psalm 2 goes straight into the nations, the kings and the judges. Psalm 1, we've seen in two ways. So you've got two ways to go. Which way are you going to go? The counsel of the ungodly? Or are you are going to meditate and go down Christ's path? And in Psalm 2, it's got two kings and two kingdoms. So two kings, one kings of the world, and Christ the king as well. Now we see in Psalm 1, we've got people that meditate on the Lord day and night. In Psalm 2, we've got meditate on vain things. And we can think of these current things. You can scroll for five hours and be meditating on all these things and be entertained. So meditating on vain things. And Psalm 1, we've got the sovereignty of God. And he says, the ungodly, the ungodly are not so. And he's just going to drive them away. They're not going to stand in the judgment. Um, and in same, same in Psalm 2, the sovereignty of God. He sits in the heavens and just scoffs. Just goes, you got nothing. All right. So let's just have a quick Overview. It's divided into four sections. And actually, in my Bible, it's actually, there's a little, sometimes I give a clue, they put a little space, extra space between um, who's speaking and what not speaking. So verse 1 to 4, we've got uh, 1 to 3, we've got about the voice of man. So we've got the voice of man, they're raging, they're plotting, they're setting themselves, they're counselling together, Um, they're speaking, saying, let us do this, let's break the bonds. Uh, And it's the voice of man. Then we have the voice of God. He sits in the heavens. He's going to do something. He's going to speak to them. So then we've got the voice of God in verse 5 and 6. And in verse 7 to 9, the voice of Christ. So uh, he says, I will declare the decree in verse 7. The Lord has said to me. "Who is he said to? Said to me. You are my son. So we've got Christ speaking, saying, The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And that's backed up in Acts 13. Then we have the voice of the Spirit. So verses 10 and 12. Now, therefore... Be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. So it's the voice of grace and mercy. And we would say we're in that age now uh, with the voice of the Spirit going out into the world by earthen vessels, via us and by his word. So this psalm itself is quoted 17 times in the New Testament. And it's the second most quoted psalm outside 110. Uh, So it's well versed in the New Testament. Uh, And you'd probably think Psalm 110 is when you hear it quoted um, about Melchizedek. So that's often quoted in the New Testament. But this is the second most quoted psalm. Now in 2 Samuel it says, uh, so who wrote the psalm? David wrote the psalm, and we're told that in the New Testament. David would have had a specific thing when he wrote it down he's probably going i am that king i am that person he he didn't know who christ was he looked forward to a salvation in the future but he didn't know by word as as scott said you go up to david and said who's jesus he goes i don't know it's the neighbor down the road um a common name uh, it was written by david so david would have looked at it looked around at the warring factions that he had and said why do these nations rage I have God on my side. He is my God. So it has a physical uh, written about David, the king himself. And when kings in the Old Testament were um, commissioned or anointed, they were called sons of God. They were called my son. So back in 2 Samuel, uh, the Davidic covenant was get, and And it says to David, his throne will be established forever. So David himself will be looking at this psalm going, it's, my, it's talking about me. My throne will be established forever. So obviously he knows he wouldn't live forever. So there is a, a physical or a literal sense where this psalm itself relates to King David on the throne. So just think of there's a literal interpretation, but the New Testament brings it out, points it to a messianic psalm. All right, so we see David's reaction when he prays in the Old Testament. He's just blown away that he's going to be king. And through his seed will be one who will be what we say a greater son will come out of his loins. So that's Christ. Another thing we have to look at, um, the sovereignty of God. So we, I had it on the computer last night and James came in and saw it and I had a blank sheet and at the top it said, Why? I didn't get much further than that. <laughs> why do the nations rage? And I'm thinking almost, why bother, guys? Like, why do you even bother raging? It's in their nature. It's in our nature to kick against the, the goes. And that's why we ask, that's why we pray and say, arrest our friends, our neighbors, Take them. because they're just raging according to their nature. So if you bring a wild animal in and it goes in the China shop and kicks everything down, you go, what do you expect? So what do we expect from the nations except they're raging? But um, I didn't get much further than why, the question mark, but I think, why do you even try? Like a little kid comes up and tries to kick you and you put your hand on their head and they're swinging and trying to kick. And you go, what are you doing? What? Like, it's a scoff. It's a laugh. But God says, what, what are you doing? And then if it was one of my grandkids who did it, I'd expect the sun to come across and then whack them. So seeing the picture here, the nations are raising. God just goes, what are you doing? The sun comes lost like a potter with this iron rod and goes, smash. So have that in mind, the sovereignty of God. It is sovereignty and the responsibility of man. is said to be too when you look down a, a train track and they just disappear, but they seem to meet in the end. They seem to meet in the distance. Uh, one person said it's like a punt or a ferry that goes across the river. You are those cables that go underwater? Well, you know, you're not sure where they join, but you know they join on the other side. So the other side being heaven. So there's two responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God. We don't walk around and go, I stub my toe on the thing God must have meant it to be. I shall rejoice. We live in an evil world, there is a devil, there is Satan, there is curses, and we live in that structure of it. You think verses like, it rains on the just and the unjust alike. So he can bless benevolently both the just and the unjust. We rejoice and thank God for the rain. They thank themselves or global change or global warming and saying, great, we've got more rain, fantastic. So... The same thing comes in, but we see it through the lens of God's sovereignty. One uh old, we say old, so probably 1600s, he said, every dust in the March wind is controlled by God. And you think, it's just something to muse on. You can get a speck of dust in your eye, you go, oh, did God do that? Or was that the devil? Was it? So it's something that you need to pull into mind and say, Small things are controlled by God. Large things are controlled by God through the sovereign sieve of his hand. So I say, my wife had cancer. She didn't die. Fantastic. Sovereignty of God. He answered prayer. We think of Olivia, nine-year-old. Everybody's praying. Hundreds of, maybe thousands of people praying. She died. Sovereign hand of God. The world, the flesh, the devil, the sovereignty of hand. It's something we need to hold on to and not swing one way Or swing the other way and say, it happened because God did it. And we go, okay, that's great. Where's the devil in this? Where's the world? Where's the flesh? Speeding down Kuma, down the main street at 200 kilometers an hour. God did it because it's sovereignty. I wouldn't be able to do it. So you do. I've heard Christians say that. So if God wants me to live, I will be safe. It's like, no, you're an idiot. So... There's things where God looked at Jerusalem and said, How I would have gathered you like a hen's gather its chick, but you would not. I was like, hang on. He wanted to do it. Where's the sovereign hand of God? But they rebelled. So just a few things. I've got a few quotes that I put up last last night. I didn't have time to write them down, but I got them on my phone. Ephesians one in him we have in- obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So he's predestined, so future looking forward according to the purpose of him. So his purpose, not ours. So we we pray for different things. We might pray for a job and a a partner and whatnot. But what's his purpose? He predestines his purpose. And what does he predestine? all things according to the counsel of his will. In Romans 8.28, which is a common one we go to, and we know, or but we know, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And you need to bring into subjection the mind, the things of Christ, what is all things? So all things. And according to his purpose, so me getting sick or losing a job, we look at it from one side of the tapestry and go, not sure how that works, but I have confidence in God that all things work together for good. My good? His glory. So that's what I look look at. All things are working together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In Matthew ten, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. And how I don't know how many of you have shot sparrows with a slug gun, and I have. Um, have you ever thought, you're not going to hit this one because your father does not want it to die? Like, he's gone down to the, that level. But the main thing is to say, he can control the leaves and what the, everything, but you're more value. He even knows how many hairs are on your head. And the older we get, the easier it is to count. So, fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So, if he knows if one of those is going to die, he knows what your problems are. Colossians, for by him all things were created. So, straight up, he creates everything. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So who gets put into government? All things were created through him and for him, not for us, for him. Um, You've probably heard that telescope, I think I mentioned it last week or the week before, sending pictures back much clearer than the Hubble telescope. And I I had to laugh the other day. It got hit by a meteorite. $10 $10 billion worth, and it's um, uncontrollable, unrepairable. They use the word like that. So it's still sending images back, and I just sort of think God sits in the heavens and goes, dunk, throws a little pebble and just knocks it a little bit. It's like I have control in all things. This earth, this world, this universe is for my glory, not yours. So dominions, rulers, authorities, governments, local, federal, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So if God was to remove his hand slightly, things would just fall apart. I would say literally fall apart. All right. Isaiah, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord. Who does all things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open and the salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with whom who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it? What are you making? Or... Your work has no handles. So have you ever thought, why has God made me thus? He is the potter. We can't just, you know, we don't make a piece of pot and we say, all right, that's for a nice flowers. We put flowers in that one. We make another piece. That's the guy that toilet it in. And does the pot, the, the earth say, why do you make me like this? It's like, I am the maker. I'm the creator. I do what I want with the clay. You just need to obey and do where you've been placed. As I say, bloom where you've been planted. Uh, Job, I know that you can do all things, and that no purposes of yours can be thwarted, or changed, or stopped. And you you think that's coming out of Job, who had lost all his family, his business. His wife was still alive, and he lost his health as well. But he's saying, you can do all things, and no purposes of yours can be thwarted. Lamentations, who has spoken, and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? It is not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come. Why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins? So when we, something happens to us, we go, oh, why did, why did that happen? Why did it happen? It's like, why should a man complain about the punishment of his sins? I don't think I've ever been uh, disciplined by my father and turned around and going, what was that for? You usually know what it was for. In Acts, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant. So similar to why do the nations rage in Acts when we think they're uh, going against Christ? They said, for truly in this city, they were gathered against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, which it says in Psalm 2, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do. And what are they going to do? Are they taking counsel together? They're plotting a vain thing. There to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So we, we look at the nations raging today and we just go, oh, God, change it. We, we cry out to God and God in his mercy might go, okay, and do it like he did with Israel. But he might just say, no, not yet, because my plan is to wipe out a nation, change this over here. Bring someone close to me. Discipline a nation. So here he says to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined. So you've got Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel all coming together. They're plotting, saying, how can we get rid of this guy? We're going to do it. With the Also, they'd have the backing of the devil, as we see in Psalm 22, the strong bulls of Bashan, the blackness, the gnawing, the, the gaping upon Christ, all going, great, we won. And then here it says, to do whatever your hand and your plan is predestined to take place. And we look back on that and go, and that was uh, horrible what they did. Kangaroo call, they did it all wrong. They shouldn't have done it. We look back and go, that was fantastic. That was our salvation. That was our cleansing. That was the, our Christ on the cross paying for our sins and doing your plan that you had predestined to take place. All right, so let's just so that's just a, a side issue with the the sovereignty of God you'll be learning forever and ever about the sovereign hand of God it's not something you can just go okay I did that module at uni I've got it let's move ahead so it's something you'll learn um, through suffering through good times through bad times through praying for things that God says no or he says yes or he says wait so all right, verse 1 to 3. The voice of man, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain, plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, "Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us." So we see man's nature, just the natural nature, not to be drawn to God. So they plot, they rage, they set themselves, they take counsel, they get a common en- enemy together. They say, look, we let, let's come together against God. So, uh, And there's there's a conspiracy. But I don't like the word conspiracy theories, but there is conspiracy against God. Satan himself, he uses man to tear down whatever building that uh, God might put in place. So we look at, for example, marriage. Men go, well, what is marriage? Came from the Bible. Well, we can make our own definition what marriage is. Satan will use men to plot and to scheme. Uh We've seen recently people getting taken through the courts and fined because they smacked their kid. Discipline. So we see people come and say, you shouldn't discipline your child. Scripture in schools. Oh, no, can't say that. Can't do that anymore. Uh, They just want to block every area of Christ. Uh, We also got speaking against immoral unions. When I wrote this, this was probably 2015. (laughs) So speaking against immoral unions and people. Just speaking out now is starting to get you into the courts. So keep it up. We might see you in prison one day. Evolution. Dare not speak against that. You will lose your job in universities. You won't be uh, seen as... Anybody who can think at all. So evolution, um, any moral restriction. So sorry, you can't think that way or do that because it's wrong. Or oh, But it's my truth. But I want to do it. It's my truth. So they have these bonds where Christ and the word here says, no, you should not do this. Well, no, chuck that in the bin. It's my truth. I often ask people, if the Bible's not uh the moral guidance who is what do we go is it is it take a vote do we go to middle east and go okay we can kill those people can we can stone them in the street that's okay so what is your what is the moral guidance if we remove this and you have um that's when you move into uh people trying to teach ethics and it's like well What is right then? What's wrong? Whose ethics? What ethics? So if there's no God, there is no moral standard. Therefore, we've got to have these ethics, ethic classes. If there's no creator, then we've got to fill it with evolution. If there's no theocracy or democracy, we've got to fill it with dictatorship. Uh, If there's no life after death, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Or Nike, just do it. Just make yourself happy. It turns into selfishness, it turns into greed, it turns into no hope, it turns into uh, Australia has one of the highest suicide rates in males. It's like, why? We live in one of the best countries in the world. Like, why? why is this? In Judges 17, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. So what did they do? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what we, we see a lot of that today. I think it's right. I'll do me. You do you. Don't tell me what's all about. So, verse two. Verse two. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So, used to anoint the kings with oil in the Old Testament. And here it's pointing to, to Christ. Uh, anointed can be translated Messiah. Um, so i just we say lowercase m for messiah for the king of israel's but also here it, in the bible it says capital a so it's pointing to the messiah so christ to come the rage the plots the councils they're against the lord and his messiah so we saw herod tried to kill christ as an infant so he just so said go into bethlehem and just kill everyone unto. two He's taken counsel going and calculated, okay, it's been this long since the kings came and saw me. Let's just kill all the kids. The mob sought to throw him off the cliff. What did he do? Just walk through them, whatever that meant. <laughs> just walk through them. They sought to silence the Messiah once and for all, and they thought they had succeeded. So they put him in the tomb. Let's just put some soldiers there just in case they come and steal him. We've got him. Uh, we see in this section of the psalm fulfilled in Acts 4, um, verse 19 to 28, which we've read through. And, and God says it's to do whatever his hand and his purposes to be determined before to be done. All right. And then God looks at these men, and in my Bible it's translated laughs. So verse 4, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And it's not... Um, It's not a jovial laugh or uh, it's more of a scoff um, or a thumb the nose. Like, what what are you doing? Why do you even bother to rage and plot and do all those things? He just sits in the heavens and laughs. But it's a very, very short laugh because it straight away says, The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath. So his laughter, his scoffing, he looking down on the evilness of men and they're trying to do, and then it turns. It's it's almost he laughs. That was funny, backhand. Um, so it's a quick laugh, turns around in the backhand. So we just look in, compare Psalm two one to three to Psalm two four to six. They set themselves. They've got all this counsel going on. He's sitting. He's not perturbed by it. He's sitting. They rage. He laughs. They take counsel. So they get the wisdom, the science. They put it all together. He just holds them in derision. Bit of confusion. They're not sure what's, what. how do we do this? What do we do? they have got to cast these, these bonds off. Holds them in derision. God just needs to speak. So verse five, he shall speak to them. He spoke and the world's come into being. He made the stars also. So God just needs to Speak. And he holds him in derision. He spoke and the world's flooded. He spoke and the confusion of languages at the Tower of Babel. He spoke and he closed the waters on the Egyptian army. Millions fed in the wilderness. Sodom Sodom and Gomorrah were burned and squashed. Remember Balaam's donkey spoke. So he can even use a donkey to speak his own words. He just needs to speak. It's not something uh, he needs to jump up and run around and get angry like we try to do. Jericho's, Jericho's walls fall. The sun and the moon stand still. And why did they stand still? So Israel can continue to in battle. So he just speaks. He seals the lion's mouth with Daniel. He prepares a great fish for Jonah. And we can go on and on and on. God has control of nature. Yet in verse 6, Yet, so despite all this, despite angry wrath, I would cause distress and, and he has them in deep displeasure. Yet, so there's it's almost like a but in the New Testament. But God, yet I have set my king on my holy hill. Uh, so I have set. That's like uh, pouring out molten metal. Like it's Set. Or concrete goes off. It's set. My king on my holy hill. So you're plotting. I've got my own plans. I've also got a plan or a plot that's going to come to pass. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. So holy hill of Zion, the city of David. In Titus 3, it says, But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, again, His plan, His work, He pours it out, He saves us, He washes us through Christ. In Matthew, it says, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your King is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Again, that um, just bringing out my holy hill of Zion, city of David, Jerusalem. Uh, Christ comes lowly and sitting on a donkey. Now we look forward, so from now today, look forward to the revelation. And it says, Then I took and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him 144,000, having his father's name written on his forehead. So even in Revelations, uh, it looks forward and say, Christ the Lamb will stand on Mount Zion with his people. So definitely a messianic psalm. Verses 7 to 9. So I just move. I feel like we're sort of doing a helicopter view of Psalm 2. Verses 7 to 9. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So literally it can be related. Um, On that night God appeared to Solomon and said, ask, what, what do you want? You are now my king. You are my anointed one. You are my lowercase messiah. Ask me, and we know Solomon says, You've shown great mercy to David, my father. Um, you've made me king. I don't want riches. Just give me wisdom. So that's something we have to learn for. So that's literally, you might look at this God has sent his king and he's used kings along the way. But again, it's pointing towards the Messiah prophetically. Uh, Mary and Joseph were told that a son was to be born. The son of God. So God's plan, yet I will set my king on the holy hill of Zion. So God's plan. Elizabeth and Zacharias were told. Shepherds in the field were told of from the angels. A saviour who is Christ the Lord is, is going to be born in Bethlehem. Simeon and Anna in the temple were told. And they saw the son of God entering the world. So at the start of Christ's ministry, remember uh, being baptized by John in the wilderness and the event was covered by all four uh, accounts of the gospel showing the significance and the spirit descended like a dove and the voice from heaven said, as we got here, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. So thousands of years earlier, God has a plan. So we're going to take comfort that though the ruler's take counsel, though they rage, though they try to break bonds, though they put in legislation that we do not like, God has a plan. We should rest in that. doesn't mean we stop fighting, stop writing, stop emailing governments. God has a plan and he will act it, enact it. So after the disciples were selected, he took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain of the transfiguration and a bright cloud overshadowed them. Then suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son. It couldn't be more obvious. He's been told them at the baptism. He's telling the disciples here, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Listen to him. We have it now written down. We, should, we now know this is my beloved son. We should hear it. We should read it. We should learn it. In Acts 13, which we read, shows the fulfillment as God raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 33 God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that He was raised up, Jesus, as is also written in the second psalm You are my Son, today I have begotten you. So just that pointing forward, God's plan cannot be, as the, that old word, thwarted or changed or broken. The bonds of people cannot break His bonds. All right, arguing again, the deity of Christ, Hebrews 1, five. for which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you? The answer is none. There only is one Christ. And again, I will be him a father and he shall be to me a son. So the deity of Christ coming out here in Psalm 2. And Christ um, says here, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And one day Christ will make the nations his footstool, something to rest upon. All right, our inheritance, verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Uh, in First Peter three, First Peter 1, verses 3 to 6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us. Again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So Christ has been given an inheritance and that inheritance has been also been been given to us. Verse nine, you shall break them with a rod of iron. So it's also relating to the end times when Christ shall reign with a rod of iron. So Revelations 2, 28, 12, 5, and 19, 5, uh, from nations from Jerusalem. Now, I'll put a little side note in. That's different to what Scott, and we differ on eschatology end times. Um, I would say Christ will come back and reign from Jerusalem physically, literally different to, so just put a side note, different to what Scott would say. Um, we're slightly different eschatology, but don't, never, never mind. It's still Christ is reigning. He can dash. We were looking and say he could dash Russia. He could dash anybody. He can dash America. Anyone who he seems fit, as it were, chess on the chessboard. I'll just move that one there. I'll just move that one here. It's his plan. I mentioned a ta- tapestry. My mum used to do tapestry. Ellie used to do tapestry. From the front, it looks beautiful. But at the moment, we look at the back and it's a mess. There's knots and strings and threads all over the place. And we go, how's all this working for the good? And one day Christ will turn it around and we will be in heaven going, that is amazing. You know, God's work, God's uh, um, law, God's uh, plans will be all in place and it will be good, like we made creation. It was good. So all things work together for good doesn't mean we'll be rich, healthy, wealthy, and wise. Um, It might be like in uh, the New Testament that some were sawn asunder. It's like, oh, hang on, how does that work? They were lived in caves. They were cut in half, put in prison, beaten. And that little phrase there says, of whom the world was not worthy. So God looks upon us like he looks upon Christ. And he says, this is my son, my beloved son gives him an inheritance, Christ gives us that inheritance as well. So we're with Christ, with the Father, sealed by the Holy Spirit. So, and we don't dare say it, this world is not worthy of us. Why? Not because of ourselves and what we do, because we're in Christ. We're royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're in Christ. Now that's something to grasp. We don't, we don't walk around going, I'm royalty. That's not. We come like Christ in the New Testament, humble with humility. All right, the last voice coming towards the end here, the voice of the Spirit. The last voice in verse 10. Now, therefore, so here's the warning. There's a period of grace here. There's a period of, there's a gap of time. So he's going to dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He's going to get an iron bar and smash the pieces, but not yet. There's a time of grace and mercy. He gives them a warning. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled, just a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So, so there's a time to be wise. There's a time now to kiss the sun. There's a time uh, for the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There will be rejoicing instead of raging. So before we were saved, we were enemies of God, enemies of Christ. We would rage against christ i was raised in the church you wouldn't think i was raging against christ i was a goody tissues i did everything a mummy's boy yeah as it were i was an enemy of christ uh, i would love to cast off the bonds of christ if i could but christ saved me so kiss the son lest he be angry so kiss the son it's humble obedience so like when you come before a king, you bow down and kiss the ring or kiss the hand or the scepter. It's humble obedience. So it's not, it's not kissing the face um, like a, a conquering king or anything like that. It's, you're showing your supremacy. It's humble obedience. All right, and verse 12, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. So it's trust in him. Take refuge. So no wrath can be kindled against the one who has kissed the son. So you go up in humble obedience, kiss the son. The wrath isn't against you. The wrath falls on Christ at the cross. So those in Christ have their transgressions blotted out and they will receive a crown of glory. You are now joint heirs. So the, the wrath that is kindled cannot be placed upon you. It's already been paid for. It's like it's been paid for by Christ on the cross. We have the robes of righteousness given to us. So there's the gospel there. And if you do kiss the sun, um, in my Bible, it separates it out on the top. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Do you feel blessed this morning? It's not necessarily an emotion that you just wake up and go, I'm blessed. But it's something you learn and you read and go, I am truly blessed. You look around at the world and the world, the flesh and the devil, and you look at them and just go, wow, why don't they follow this? This is life. This is, this is food. This is, this is a hope that one day if I die in a car accident, die by cancer, die of old age at 100, my hope is not here. We have a new hope. So you're so blessed if you've put your trust in him, in Christ, that that anger, if, it's, if it's his wrath is kindled, just a little. If he gets angry, just a little. You're in big trouble of the nations, the kings, the rulers, the judges, just a little. But we're blessed because that wrath that uh, God poured out was not upon us was put upon Christ that we can stand here and stand and even pray in the presence of God and say, I'm a joint heir. I'm spotless. We know our own hearts, but we're spotless in Christ. So gospel there, summed up in one Psalm, you got the eternal sovereign God who before time chose us, sent his son. So you are my son to redeem us that we might partake in his inheritance, that his anger might not fall upon us. So you see the gospel intertwined there in Psalm 2. And then at the end it says, oh, what happinesses. So plural, happy, happy, happy are all those who put their trust in him. So have you kissed the son? Have you put your trust in Christ? Because if you haven't, you're still under the wrath and if it's kindled but a little, he will smash that pot. We are earthen vessels. Uh, he will smash that pot to pieces. We have to take comfort that he is a sovereign God. We might look at the rulers and go, and look at God and go, "It's been ten years with this awful dictator. What, what are you doing? <laughs> we want judgment now." And God says, "Wait, I'll put uh, Israel for seventy years." I will make them wander for 40 years in the wilderness. I will hold back Joseph and send him off to Egypt so that I might save my people. So God has a plan, and we might be part of that plan that covers 300 years. So it's sort of we need to trust him, Uh, put our, our faith that he is in control, that we might stand up and say all things are working together for the good. Not all things are good for us. Oh, that's great. We just got another job. I've got a pay rise, I've got a new car. All things are working for our good because it's his plan. And we want his plan to come to par- pass. All right. So what does this have to do with eternity or what it is in the light of eternity? We used to have an old tapestry that says, quid ad aeternum. Um, what comes to us, we must look up and say, what are we doing in the light of eternity? In the Old Testament, had one of the prophets was told to plant a tree. And it's one of those trees that takes decades to grow. So planting for the next generation. And that's what we do when new kids come along. We plant the seed for the next generation. We ask them to kiss the sun because we the sun's wrath will be kindled but a little and there will be destruction. But it does end on the happy note. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And we are a blessed people. We are a royal people. We are a people that God will keep forever and ever and ever. I saw a photo the other day, and a a guy said his computer malfunctioned in a picture. It had already counted 66,000 stars in the one picture. And I go, he created the stars also. Just spoken, there they were. So we have a God who is almighty all-knowing all-sufficient all-powerful and he's asked us to come as it were live with him to give him the glory so there's last two how blessed are we to have as it were god on our side if god's on our side who can be against us yes we can be killed we can be sawn asunder we can be beaten stricken um walking as it were in the desert um but once we die, we enter into heaven forever, which is a blessed thing. So our last hymn, over oh for a Thousand so- Tongues to Sing. We would love to see a thousand tongues singing in Kuma even. My great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King. No, no King down here. The triumphs of His grace, my gracious Master. So we're living in the time of grace My gracious master and my God, assist me to proclaim. We have that blessedness. We have that gospel. Assist us to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad. And wherever the gospel goes, it, it, as it were, puts those bonds and yokes, which are easy upon the nations, spread through all the earth abroad, the honors, and it is an honor to have his name upon us, to be Christ's ones. We will stand and sing